Alrighty, hello again everyone and welcome to Inglorious Friday. It is the second day of September 2022. Happy Friday to you. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. Welcome to the Derek Hunter Podcast. Uh, Good times. It's going to be an action-packed program. As always, really, really do appreciate you listening. Appreciate the support. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast and the uh, DerekHunter.Locals.com page. You can email me, DerekAllenHunter at gmail.com. But if you go to that page and you join, you get your choice. You get to sign up, maybe win a signed Greg Gutfeld book or a signed Martin Short book. Whichever one you want. It's that simple. Given away every week almost, barring medical, no medical issues. I give uh, autographed books away there. So check that out. And there's also bonus content. The Week in F and Review, which will be up at midnight. F this effing president, quite frankly. We'll talk about that in the week in effing review. So check it out, patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. Thank you so much for the support. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, only on special occasions do we do this. Um, where the, Normally I record the podcast much earlier in the day because I need my beauty sleep. And as anybody can tell by looking at me, I don't sleep a lot. So, uh, but when there's something that happens at night in the evening or whatever, I do a special reaction, at least segment of the show, and that's what's going to happen here. And to help with that is fellow lack of beauty sleeper, Brian Darling, President of Liberty Government Affairs. Uh, how's it going, Brian? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I uh, I didn't realize I was a threat to democracy. I didn't realize you were a threat to democracy. I never realized I golfed with a threat to democracy, that I knew so many people who are threats to democracy. But apparently people the, – the line from the White House this morning from uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, who's historic, by the way. Have I mentioned she's historic? Uh, was that if you are – if you are in support of ideas, candidates, or what have you, policies that are not supported by the majority of Americans, you are in the extreme. That's kind of a weird argument to come from a political party that, where the president is getting about 40 to 42 percent approval rating. They're basically saying that he is out of the mainstream and therefore he is extreme, but uh, they'll never be held to those standards. So the president goes up to philadelphia tonight they drench independence hall in blood red lights and they have two marines behind him standing guard military in uniform are not supposed to participate in anything politically related and the president for about 26 minutes proceeds to give his uh, version of a nuremberg rally to handpick democrats out in front of independence hall um what were your initial impressions of the speech? Well, it sounded just like a campaign speech, like he was, you know, announcing he was going to run for president or something. I mean, it didn't sound like a speech that was worthy of anybody listening to it. I mean, it's just like your average stump speech running around, you know, demonizing the other side. Uh, it was awful in the sense that, you know, he's basically I, I love the way that they say, oh, not all Republicans are MAGA Republicans, but those MAGA Republicans are evil and they um you know they're authoritarian and they're fascists but who are these mega republicans like they uh, they purposely don't define them because they want all republicans to be tagged as semi-fascist no, they use they use our governor larry hogan is is one of the good guys 
Yeah. Larry Hogan is the gimp. Larry Hogan comes out with the ball gang in his mouth and the leather zipper across his face. And, and that's that's how they like their Republicans. That's it. It's, it's obedient. They disagree on a couple of things, but they're not really willing to do anything about it. Yeah, yeah. They like the Republicans like Liz Cheney, who, who voted for gun control. And, you know, a lot of the, I don't know what it is about these never Trumpers, but they just lose their minds and they end up voting really crazy and left wing. And you see it on all these cable news networks where guys like Kurt Bardella, you know, <laughs> a guy who worked in the Republican leadership, or at least he worked in a committee leadership, ends up becoming one of the most vicious left wing well, spokesmen that I've in interest ever seen. to Kurt Bardella, I think he's desperately looking for approval from somebody. He used to think of Daryl Issa, who was his boss in the committee there in government oversight and reform, as like a father figure. And then Issa stepped away from Congress for a few years, and Kurt was adrift, and nobody liked Kurt. I don't think Kurt has anybody in his life who actually likes him. Certainly nobody, I don't know how anybody could love him. So he decided that MSNBC was the way to go. Look, you, you got the Matt Lewis's of the world. You've got people, the Amanda Carpenters, who are willing to dance and do the Alyssa Farah. The way to get a CNN contract or an MSNBC contract is to forsake everything you used to profess to believe. Now, the real question I have for these people is, did you ever believe it or was it all for show? Was it just convenient? I don't I don't know. I, it, when Ariana, remember, Ariana Huffington used to be a conservative. Yeah, yeah. And she was a conservative firebrand. And then something happened. David Brock was a conservative firebrand. And he thought, nobody will like me because I'm gay. Like, nobody gives a crap that you're gay, dude. Everybody knew you were gay. It was the worst kept secret in Washington. But how about, he how about Charlie Crist? Charlie no. Crist is Republican governor of Florida. Now he's running for governor of Florida as a Democrat. But you sit there and you go, um, I, I, I get it. Over time, you're going to mellow out on some issues. As you get older, you learn more. New information comes to light. You're going to change your opinion on a few things. It's just how, if you if you don't, there's something really weird about you. You know, it's either going to become stronger or weaker or whatever. I I'll be honest. I you know in my 20s and 30s, I was like, I don't really care about abortion. Now I got kids, and now like, wow, this is really a horrible thing. But I, I couldn't have cared less. Couldn't have cared less before. Over time, as new evidence came to light and new experiences were had by me, I I evolved on it. But you do that on one or two issues or else you're just not a thinking person. These people that we're talking about did it on absolutely everything. It's not just like they changed a little bit. They went 180 degrees on everything. Now, in Arianna Huffington's case, was it because of money? For David Brock's case, was it because of money? Did they ever really believe the other things? Did Kurt Bardella, does, does if, you wonder, does the Matt Lewis or Kurt Bardella or the Alyssa Farrer, do they ever, do they actually believe in anything? Because they, you know, Alyssa Farrer worked for the Trump administration, proudly worked for the Trump administration and did so long after she claims to have had this moral epiphany. And you're sitting there and you go, well, then why'd you keep working? If it was so horrible retroactively and everything you say is true now, why'd you stick around? All of these things, do you believe in what you say now or did you believe in what you said then? I want to understand the evolution process, but they don't. Joe Biden 
is sort of another example of this. When he was running for president, Brian, you know this. I want to unite her. I want to bring the country together. I know how to do this, that. There's nothing in Joe Biden's past that shows that he brings people together. When he was a senator, he was a jackass, and he was a partisan jackass. When he was vice president, he's going to put you all back in chains. The milk toast, you know, harmless Mitt Romney was suddenly a Klansman who wanted to re-enslave black people. And like, I didn't know Mitt Romney was a Democrat. But um, this is what passes as politics or for politics these days. Everything that Donald, that uh, Joe Biden accused Donald Trump and Republican voters of doing tonight are things that the Democrats have done. The big applause line on political violence. They talk about one day as in the entire history of the country, 240, what up to 46 years or something like that. Uh, the only political violence was on one day, January the 6th, 2021, and that is it. The entire year of 2020 didn't exist. The entire year of the Democrat brown shirts, BLM, Antifa out there, like the AFL-CIO, they united. We're out there burning cities and beating holy hell out of people. Didn't happen. I uh, am I am I overreacting here? I, I I really just want to go off and swear. I want to do a curse show right now. <laughs> no, I'm. I don't think you're overreacting, but I do disagree disagree with you in one point. I think that Joe Biden has unified the country in disliking him and thinking that he's completely incompetent. And I mean, I was looking at the Wall Street Journal poll numbers, and you get a big kick out of the liberal media. They're like, oh wow, look, he's up from forty one percent to forty five percent, but. When you 45 percent still is horrible, by the way. I mean, it's 45 total favorable, 53 total unfavorable. But when you dig down, this this is a great number. So for him, his very favorable, his strong basis support is 20 percent. Somewhat guys that are like, you know, I kind of like him, 25 percent. His very unfavorable is 45 percent, which is the same as his uh, very unfavorable equals is the same amount as his total favorable. So people that dislike him really dislike him. That's almost half the country that hates the guy. Yeah. And, and well, the media is like giving him high fives and saying, what a great speech. Oh, this was all, oh, what a unifying day for democracy when it was a political campaign speech. It was. And I got to say, I was the biggest surprise tonight was not that Joe Biden, you know, used the Marines and used the Marine Corps band for a political speech and you'll get away with it because uh, that's just how the left is. But the the networks didn't carry it. I checked. I fully expected, you know, to see George Snuffleupagus sitting there or Lester Holt and Chuck Todd going, we're waiting for the president to approach the podium here. This historic moment. They didn't do it. They didn't they didn't break away from a law and order rerun on NBC to cover this. They had some stupid game show. I forget even what it was. On ABC, they did not carry this. That was the biggest shock in the world to me, which which means that people won't see this. They might see clips of it tomorrow. They might see clips of it on social media. But when they get into the clip game, particularly when it comes to social media, conservatives are so good at clipping and disseminating information. You know, just here's what they said. Take a look. The left always says, oh, they're disseminating hate. Like, no, we're, we're actually just putting out direct videos of what you said. <laughs> if you have a problem with what you said, maybe you shouldn't have said it. Uh, but I was surprised. And there's a good possibility that this could not majorly because 
Joe Biden's really close to the floor all the time. He can't go. But he, when he was down at 36 percent, I think it was physically impossible for him to get any less popular with the American people. But if he's up at 40 to 42 percent, he could lose a couple of points here in popularity by through this speech. Yeah, no, I agree with that. You know, he, they had his uh, numbers dipping down to like 41 and then I guess in the 30s, which is just abysmal. But, you know, he's putting up record numbers for the worst being the most least popular president we've ever had in our country. So, um, yeah, I guess he can go lower, but he's going to have to work hard at it. But and he did a good job today. Like uh, the some of the things I find very funny is when these speeches happen is, you know, how they present themselves. So they come out and they always introduce Dr. Jill Biden, which always makes me giggle. But the funniest, the oddest thing, actually not funny, but the oddest thing is when he started speaking, he kept clearing his throat. And whenever I hear somebody clear their throat, I do the same thing. And I found myself clearing my throat over and over again. It's just so distracting that the guy is just such a mess that he can't get up there and just knock out a speech. I mean, say what you want about Donald Trump, but he's never going to get up there and you're not you're never going to look at him and say, oh, I think he might keel over in the middle of the speech. It's not going to happen. He might start dancing. But he's not going to keel over. That's true. He might say something where you're like, oh, geez, but he won't keel over. Uh, a friend of mine who worked for uh, Rush Limbaugh is texting me right now. And he says uh, Rush would talk. We we're texting back and forth about the speech. He said Rush would talk uh, about how the left is panicking. And the left, this one thing I, I, I think that lends credence to the idea, the concept that the left is panicking is Joe Biden and Democrats in general very infrequently invoke the name Trump. They invoke Trump. They talk about my predecessor, the former administration, the previous administration, whatever. They don't They don't like to refer to him as a president. They don't say the former president. It's always Trump when they do reference him. They don't say President Trump because they, they want to uh, give a wink and a nod to the mad out crowd of giving you know disrespect, but subtle disrespect. But tonight, Joe Biden named Donald Trump. I thought he was Voldemort, he who shall not be named. Because what if we had four years of Maxine Waters out there going, impeach 45. She wouldn't use his name. It's 45 president, number 45. Um, is there panic on the left right now? Because the, we've been told, and I don't know where we stand right now as far as the 2022 elections go. I'd like to think that, God, I hope to God that I'd like, I'd rather actually the Republicans take the Senate than the House. Because at least you can stop the uh, the appointment or slow the appointment of really bad judges. But uh, if we don't get one house, so we can one chamber, so that we can launch serious investigations with the power of subpoena and watch Democrats defy subpoenas and that become cool again, congressional subpoenas come cool again. But uh, the polling data, if you to believe it, it, indicates that things are tightening. Things are getting, you know, Republicans. I firmly believe are quite capable of ruining anything, blowing any lead you give them. Still early in the game, but are we looking at a tightening race, do you think, in the fall? Because Democrats have successfully managed to make the midterm elections about anything other than their record? I don't think so. I think Democrats are in deep trouble. I think it's I think the polls are tightening, but they always do. I mean, this always happens when you get close to an election. The polls tighten up. And as we know, the polls aren't always very accurate. I mean, we just yeah. ask President Hillary Clinton, you know, how is your presidency? Oh, wait, you didn't win. You know, Al Gore, 
you can go through so many different just botched polls. Eric Cantor is a great, you know, <laughs> marching back to victory to be in, in Republican leadership and he loses a primary. I mean, you know, stuff like that happens because polls, we live and die by polls, but it's funny, like at the end, when election day comes, I feel like every two to four years, we look at these polls and we say, why did we listen to these clowns? And then the day after the election, we start listening to them again about the next election. And they're always way off. And what do we know about the midterms? Well, Donald Trump's midterm, he lost 40 seats in the House. His party lost 40 seats. And that happened. Go back to Barack Obama. He lost 63 seats. You go way back to Bill Clinton. He lost 50 and change. Uh, George W. Bush was an outlier because of 9-11. But it's, history tells us that Republicans, the party out of power is going to pick up probably 30 seats. Now, maybe, you know, the, there's some argument that this is a different election. This is not, you know, because Trump is in the media so much, maybe it'll be more like the last election than your average midterm. But I just don't buy that. I think that I think this is going to be one of those elections where Republic, you know, the people get are they're mad. I mean, you look at the poll numbers, the president's very unpopular. People are pissed about inflation being so high. They don't like gas prices being through the roof. And yeah, they're coming down, but they're not coming down enough to really make that big of a difference. We're reading about rolling blackouts in California. Things are not good. I mean, the economy is not good right now. You know, we're in a recession, even though the Biden administration tried to define us out of it. We're uh, you just look across the board and everything is pointing towards Democrats losing and you even look at some of the races where Republicans are screwing up. I mean, Herschel Walker in Georgia, he's doing better in the polls. Uh, Oz in um, Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz, he's running against a guy who just had a stroke or refuses to debate him. Presumably that race is going to tighten up a bit. You look at Nevada, that's going to be a close race. You look across the country, there's a very good chance that Republicans pick up the one seat they need to take over the Senate. And I think the House is a lock. I hope so. I hope so. But I'm naturally pessimistic. By month, as we go into the Labor Day weekend, Brian, it's Friday when people are hearing this just a couple hours from now. Politics won't be on the forefront. Grilling will be enjoying public pools for the last weekend as lazy organization shut them down, even though we still got another month of temperatures that are going to be pool worthy. You're going to watch out for corn pop when you go to the pool. Yeah, I know. Well, we got to cut pet Joe Biden's leg hair. <laughs> Is this remembered Tuesday when people come back? No, I, I think this speech is very unmemorable. I mean, it didn't. What did he say? Did he announce that, you know, something big like we're pulling out of a country, you know, war? No. Are we doing something in Ukraine? No. Is it some massive action he's taking on, um, you know, the, the Federal Reserve to kind of reel in what they're doing with uh, their policies? No. To, to address inflation? Because the American people care about, you know, did he announce a suspension of the gas tax, which Americans would be really psyched about? No, he's done. Nothing happened. Nothing happened that mattered. Nothing was announced other than just, you know, the usual partisan BS that most Americans just don't care about. Most Americans tune that stuff out. Yeah, I don't really think even Chuck Todd is definitely going to try and polish this turd. 
on Sunday on Meet the Press, but I think it'll be overtaken by it's already been overtaken by events. It never actually it never actually overtook events that were already occurring. It's how how little Joe Biden is. It's weird. He can do a lot of damage and he has. But as far as his relevancy in the presidency, he's shrunk as a man and as a president and and shrunk the office. I think as far as influence, when his staff is really governing things. Anyway, Brian, darling, thanks for staying up late. Thanks for suffering through that thing and uh, coming on and talking to us or get on with regular programming after this. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Anyway, there's a lot going on in the world. I want to talk about the the Colorado Senate race. Not Colorado, the Pennsylvania Senate race. John Fetterman. It's one of those situations. John Fetterman, if you ever looked at him, he's... He's a cross between Frankenstein's monster and Uncle Fester. He's got this small head. If you've ever seen the original Dracula, I mean, like the silent movie Dracula, way back in the... He looks like that, kind of, too. He's got a small head and a huge body. He's like six foot seven, lumbering, always wearing shorts and a hoodie. He's a lot like Michael Moore because John Fetterman, his family has a lot of money. He comes from a lot of money. His, he hates school choice. He's opposed to school choice. He's a slave to the teachers union, yet he sends his kids to the most expensive private school in the state. He's that kind of Democrat. He lived off of his parents' money until he was in his 40s. Until he was he was mayor of a city and he still lived off his parents' money. It wasn't until he became lieutenant governor of the state, which again shows how pathetic some people are, um, that he decided he could live off of his own salary. Never really had a job. His wardrobe does seem to just consist of hoodies and shorts. So no matter what the weather, he's got a long sleeve hoodie on and shorts. So, <laughs> okay, so if it's it's hot, his legs are cool. But his torso is a little sweaty. But if it's cool, his torso is good. His legs are a little cold. You could, you know, if you're going to dress, they say Einstein had wore the same clothes every day. He just had a whole bunch of different copies of it. This guy is not an Einstein. But it's amazing how many people like to emulate Einstein in every aspect except the intelligence. <laughs> it's really easy. I get crazy hair and wear the same clothes every day, and that makes me Einstein. Not really. No, you just there's a there's a third key ingredient there. It's like saying I threw carrots and uh, and some celery in a bowl. I've got chicken noodle soup. Like, nah, I think you're missing a couple of things here. I think uh, I think your ingredients list is a little shy there. I don't think that's that's uh, chicken noodle soup. I don't think John Fetterman is an Einstein, but uh, he runs around like this, and he had a stroke. He had a, he won the Democratic nomination. I think he I think he had a stroke almost immediately after, probably the shock of winning. He might have had it right before. Maybe it was the shock of the possibility of winning. But whatever the case, he missed two months on the campaign trail. Now, nobody's I'm not making fun of him for having had a stroke. But he's one of those people. And sadly, there are so many people in politics like this, both sides of the aisle, who physically can't do the job. It just, well, Joe Biden comes to mind. But Joe Biden is in better shape than John Fetterman is. But there are a lot of people who just cannot do the job. There have been senators 
who have been rolled out on uh, hospital beds to cast votes, tie-breaking votes that were needed. That means that they brought all the medical professionals and every. There have been senators who have, uh, I think Thad Cochran is the name I'm thinking of, former Mississippi senator, uh, before he passed. He he stayed in the Senate way too long, was fumbling around, and uh, was basically steered around by his staff, put through the motion, and he'd go... Why? Why? Is there nobody in his life who goes, you know what? It's time to go. You can't You can't do the job. You can't participate in committee hearings. You can't ask questions. All you can do is go in and at the, the puppetry, it's like you're a marionette of the staff, raise your hand up or down for a vote. That is, yeah, physically you're, you're, you're technically doing the bare minimum of the job. You're doing what is required. You're voting. But you can't do it on your own. If you can't get in there, if you don't know what's going on, and if every time you talk to a reporter, you say something that the staff has to hurriedly walk back, you should not be in the job. John Fetterman cannot do the job of a United States senator. He's not a United States senator yet. He cannot physically do it. He has not recovered from the stroke yet. Will he recover? I don't know. I hope he does. I hope everybody recovers from every stroke. But just objectively, he cannot do the job. He can't string together coherent sentences. So how is he still running? Well, he's running because he goes to campaign appearances where the media doesn't film him. This is, you want to talk about collusion. You will see some footage of John Fetterman on the campaign trail, but not a lot. And mostly it'll be shaking hands. He's not gone completely. He just, it's, his brain isn't firing on all uh, cylinders. That's what happens with a stroke. There's no shame in it. That's what happens. You just shouldn't be elected to the United States Senate while you cannot string together a coherent sentence, no matter what the reason. Democrats should pressure him to drop out, but they won't. He's running against Dr. Oz, polls sadly and pathetically, show that he's doing well against Dr. Oz. And you sit there and you go, what the hell? How bad of a candidate is Dr. Oz? Come on. But I want to play you this clip. Fetterman was on with Stephanie Rule, the dumbest person in cable news. Doesn't get the credit she deserves because of misogyny, but here we give her the credit she deserves. We will not be shackled by uh you know misogyny in this this world no 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 she is every bit as dumb as don lemon don lemon gets the attention because he's on earlier in the day she's on at 11 p.m but also gets it because he's a man and she doesn't get it because she's a woman well i am a feminist i see a dumb incompetent woman on television and i stand up and say yes that woman is dumb and incompetent it's a hero and you know, not all heroes wear capes, but I, on occasion, will slip on a cape. Anyway, she was on, and Fetterman gives this nonsense answer. Now, one of the things about he's running in Pennsylvania, a huge, geographically huge state, a lot of different interests in there. You got the unions, you got the tech, you got the rich with the Democrats support, and you've got the rural, you've got the inner cities and the suburban. And they have diverging interests. 
the rich, wealthy tech people want the student loan forgiveness because who doesn't want to be forgiven ten or $20,000 in debt? Whereas the farm workers who didn't go to college are the ones getting screwed and having to pick up the check for the wealthy suburbanites. You know, and so Stephanie Rule asks him, how do, you, uh, how do you square that circle? How do you represent a state with uh, such diverse interests? Now, you're going to hear her question. Pay attention to his answer. I swear to God, it's like you took a, a written sentence or a written paragraph and you took one of those exacto blades and you randomly cut out words. Every third word here, every fifth word, every tenth word, everything, every word that starts with W, whatever. You cut them out. And the longer he talks, the less sense he makes. It seems like there's, it's not just missing one word here and there. In some cases, he's missing three, four, five words in a row. But he doesn't stop. He doesn't pick up. And what's sad is his wife is sitting right next to him. The wife, And you're sitting there going, why is the wife being interviewed? She doesn't say anything in this. She's there in case he really goes off the rails, I assume, so she can either nudge him or she can step in and answer the question for him. Because Stephanie Rule isn't going to point out, like, hey, lady, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to the guy who was actually running. She's not going to say anything about that. So uh, that was why she was there. She doesn't step in at all. She doesn't seem to notice either. Now, maybe John Fetterman was always kind of an incoherent, babbling fool, but I doubt it. And it leads to the question that you have about Jill Biden all the time. Is if you really, if you really love this person, why would you put them out there like this so they could humiliate themselves, so they could suffer this way? Um, the answer is either they don't love them or they just they love naked power more. Anyway, this is John Fetterman giving a nonsense answer on how he can represent people with wildly different interests. Pay attention to to what he it doesn't go anywhere near the question. And he's missing words, I swear to God. Pennsylvania voters. It's a very big state, right? Think about Western PA in in Pittsburgh, where the economy was thriving before COVID, filled with tech companies and universities. There's probably all sorts of people there thrilled about student debt forgiveness. But go 30 minutes outside to Beaver County, where there's likely voters who are saying, I just want a good kindergarten. I want a good fifth grade. How do you serve both voters? We've got a complicated economy. People want very different things. I, I just think people need to understand what the and, and be able to recognize, uh, you know, what their lives are, are really like. And we believe and we know that we actually do that. Uh, very Im- important, too. And, you know, living in western Pennsylvania, living across the street, actually the way we're having this interview right now, right across from a steel mill. We have to understand that that we all can't work at Google or we can't all be working at a hospital. We have to make sure that we are making more stuff here in Pennsylvania and in America. And we also have to make sure that we have to make sure that we address to an obscene uh, minimum wage. And how can we now running for the Senate and you own 10 homes and you are not unwilling to raise a minimum wage above $7 and $25 an hour. Um, I mean, we all know that Dr. Oz does live in New Jersey, but the simple is important too to recognize how can you understand a life of a Pennsylvania resident, if you have nothing to, to be able to serve one that has no clue on what life is like you know, living in, here in Pennsylvania. Does that make any sense to you? Does it come close to making sense? It's like a, it's like a jumble. It's like, it's like trying to play Scrabble with only half the letters and no vowels. You're like, what, what are we supposed to do with this? No, no, keep going. Just keep going. 
I want to play it again because the first time you hear it, 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 it sneaks up on you. It sneaks because at the beginning he's semi-coherent. Pretty quickly after that he goes off the rails. But at the beginning he's semi-coherent. The longer he goes on, the less sense he makes. The more words that are missing that he goes off on. You can't even say tangents because a tangent is something that you go off on based on what you just said. It's more of a hopscotch because he's not. He goes off on things that are completely irrelevant and unrelated to what he was asked and not in any way, shape, or form connected to what he was saying. And you're like, well, how the hell do you do that? So listen to this again. And remember, like Stephanie Rule doesn't go, you know, uh, Mr. Lieutenant Governor, you can't. Uh, that was nonsense. Should you be running for um, She doesn't do that. She just goes on. The wife sitting there next to her, next to him doesn't go, wait a second, dude. Uh, you, you, you need to get to the hospital or something. Nope. They all pretend that this is perfectly normal and coherent, which kind of tells you something about the average MSNBC viewer, I guess. Pennsylvania voters. It's a very big state, right? Think about Western PA in, in Pittsburgh, where the economy was thriving before COVID, filled with tech companies and universities. There's probably all sorts of people there thrilled about student debt forgiveness. But go 30 minutes outside to Beaver County, where there's likely voters who are saying, I just want a good kindergarten. I want a good fifth grade. How do you serve both voters? We've got a complicated economy. People want very different things. I, I just think people need to understand what the and, and be able to recognize, uh, you know, what their lives are, are really like. And we believe and we know that we actually do that. Uh, very important, too. And, you know, living in western Pennsylvania, living across the street, actually the way we're having this interview right now, right across from a steel mill. We have to understand that that we all can't work at Google or we can't all be working at a hospital. We have to make sure that we are making more stuff here in Pennsylvania and in America. And we also have to make sure that we have to make sure that we address to an obscene uh, minute, minimum wage. And how can we now running for the Senate and you own 10 homes and you are not unwilling to raise a minimum wage above $7 and $25 an hour? Um, I mean, we all know that Dr. Oz does live in New Jersey, but the simple is important too to recognize how can you understand a life of a Pennsylvania resident, if you have nothing to, to be able to serve one that has no clue on what life is like you know, living in, in here in Pennsylvania. What in the hell is he saying? We could run a contest. Hey, uh, tell me what he says. Fill in the blanks. <laughs> I, I don't want to mock a guy who had a stroke, but the absurdity of it has to be addressed. And to do that, you have to illustrate absurdity with absurdity. And absurdity can sound a lot like mockery. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm mocking him because of his bad policy decisions. I'm mocking him because of his appearance. I'm mocking him because of his wardrobe. I'm mocking him not for, for everything else is fair game. But, you know, his health issues are not something that really I'm not going to mock the guy about. But for the love of God and holy Frank and Anna, how does this guy get the lead in the poll? How does this guy pull 10%. And I'll tell you, Democrats can't go to John Fetterman. This is where they sort of have a catch-22. Democrats can't, they want to go to John Fetterman and say, look, dude, sorry. It's just, you're not the guy. You're going to have to drop out. You can't do it. You can't do the job. But if they go to John Fetterman and say that, what does that open them up? Now, the de other Democrats aren't going to do this, but conservatives definitely will. I'll tell you right now, I'll do it.
They'll say, okay, Fetterman can't do the job. Obviously, John Fetterman can't do the job. Cast train together coherent sentence, doesn't know where he is half the time. And I'm glad that the Democrat establishment came in and said, you can't do the job, you got to go. Why don't you do the same to Joe Biden? Why aren't you out there saying the same thing? To you? And I can show you clip after clip after clip that maybe isn't, well, the difference between Joe Biden and John Fetterman is John Fetterman is less exposed. He's running Joe Biden's 2020 campaign as best they can. They're keeping him away from everybody and they're keeping cameras. There's a, there was an NBC News reporter. It was like, hey, it's John Fetterman in a campaign event, and he's taking pictures, and he's tweeting out pictures of John Fetterman at this campaign event, and you're, you're going, you get any video of or, or audio of the campaign event? And they didn't. NBC News, this reporter, he has a tele. I'm holding in my hands a uh, an iPhone 12, right? iPhone 12 Max. It is a television studio. Right in my hands. If I am somewhere and I'm a reporter, thank God I'm not, but if I am somewhere and I'm a reporter and I want to document what is going on, I could either take still photographs or I could do what uh, a normal reporter used to do. You take video of it. From the video, you can take still images. So if you just want to send out still images, that's fine. But for the sake of you reporting accurately what was said, you might want to record what was said film what was said and what if something happens what if there's news made at the you want to get it on film not this nbc news reporter who's apparently the only person there john fetterman is doing campaign events around the state and you don't see video of those campaign events because the media has no interest in it because you get incoherent ramblings like you just heard they are pretending He's doing well. They show B-roll of him shaking hands. They always oh, laughing. Ah, here he comes walking across the street. Well, congratulations. He can walk. Thad Cochran could walk. He couldn't really talk, but he could walk. So, uh, John Fetterman, we've established that he can do what the average one-year-old can do. What do we do after that? The average one-year-old doesn't understand the complexities and the operations of the United States Senate or the implications of any laws passed by that austere body. Should not we have a little bit higher standards than the idea that somebody be able to stand upright and move themselves across a uh, a distance? Not if you're in the liberal media. Not if they're a dem. No, let me say. Not if they're a Democrat. Not if they're a Democrat. I'll never forget seeing that NBC reporter just say, oh, here's John Fetterman, rip-roaring event here at uh, this thing. And you're like, any video of it? Any evidence of it? You've got a picture of him taking a selfie and giving a, a weird Frankenstein-y thumbs up and a crooked, bizarre, what am I doing and why am I here smile, and you've got no video of this. Why would you take pictures? But like I say, Fetterman was on with uh, Stephanie Rule, and she also asked him, look, he's running against Dr. Oz. There have been five proposed debates. Dr. Oz has done the smart thing. He's agreed to all of them. He's not afraid to string together a coherent sentence. He is not afraid of the prospect of telling the voters where he stands and what he wants to do on certain things. Fetterman, since... 
people on the Oz campaign have commented on Fetterman's stroke and his unwillingness slash inability to campaign or string together coherent sentences. Fetterman is saying he's making fun of me. Fire bad. He's making fun of me for stroke. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, debate him. And then yesterday they said that uh, they they're not going to do a debate. At least not now. They're not going to agree to a debate that was supposed to happen this weekend. Why? Because as a stroke victim, they're playing the I had a stroke card. As a stroke victim, apparently common amongst stroke victims is a difficulty in comprehending and hearing things in a noisy area. You know, like if you were at a a baseball game or something, you wouldn't be able to necessarily hear somebody, right? Uh, or respond, or you might get confused, or whatever. Okay, what do you think happens in the United States Senate, by the way? What do you think happens in the There's discussion. But this can easily be remedied. It could easily be remedied by one simple thing. Do the debate in a television studio with only the uh, questioners in there. Fetterman doesn't want to do that because fire bad or something. But listen to him talk about why he won't debate Dr. Oz. You turned down Dr. Oz's invitation to debate. What made you come to that decision? And do you think you'll debate him before the election? Oh, again, as, as I just said, this is just a, a sad uh, approach at this point uh, because they are trying to uh, not focus on the, the condition of their, their campaign right now. And, and when they want to get into a serious conversation and really talk about having a debate, I'd be happy to engage in that. But right now, uh, the fact that they have chosen to have a, a deeply unserious uh, campaign to just ridicule somebody that is just uh, recovering from a stroke. <laughs> and they want to have a, I'm ready to have a serious discussion about a debate. Well, how about a debate? How about a serious discussion? How about a non-serious discussion about the issues? No, no, no. They're, they're being mean and uh, they're not ready to do this. And are too busy and I've got a stroke and I can't talk in crowded rooms and whatever. Meanwhile, yesterday, ABC News reports the following. Pennsylvania Senate hopeful John Fetterman recently attended a fundraiser in the Hamptons, a previously unreported appearance as he recovers from a sto stroke and ramps up to face Republican Dr. M M Mehmet Oz, whom he often attacks as an elitist celebrity versus his blue-collar style. Funny thing is, Fetterman is richer, his family's richer than Oz's family was. Now, Oz is much richer now because he earned his money. Fetterman uh, inherited wealth. But, oh, no, it's, and they call it they, a blue-collar style. NBC News says it's a blue-collar style. Look, Michael Moore has a blue-collar style. Michael Moore is worth $40, 50000000 million. But, wow, he wears a Detroit Tigers baseball hat and uh, a hoodie when he goes out to uh, the Sizzler or the Old Country Buffet or whatever. Uh, Golden Corral, probably. He's so blue-collar styly. He's not. His mansion on Lake Michigan up in Traverse City, you can't get it within a country mile of without his security team coming to get in the gated community coming to get you. But boy, howdy, when he's on TV, he aw shucks his way through all of it. That's what John Fetterman is. He's going up. He wants to represent the people of Long Island. 
Dr. Oz, he's uh, he's not even a true Pennsylvania. No, I'm going to the Hamptons, which are decidedly not located in Pennsylvania, to raise a ton of money from my parents' friends. Yeah, that's blue-collar style for you. Anyway, I want to shift gears here to the environmental tyranny that is going on out there. It is... Uh, be careful what you sign up for. Look, the, the left does a lot of uh, things very, very well. They don't do anything that's good, but they do a lot of things very, very well, including manipulating people, human beings, with promises of, hey, save money. Hey, save money. You go, well, who do I like? I like to save money. How would you like to save some money? We'll give you money. And this is one of those situations where they, they, offer, they, they explain it in the last clip. They offer 100 bucks credit of your electric bill. If you just sign up for this thing, that's highly improbable and I most uh, likely will never come to pass. Plus, it's good for the planet. So sign up. What do you hate the planet? And you see all these things and you go, well, I like $100 and I, I don't hate the planet, even though the planet would kill you if it had a chance. You know, just, just throwing that out there. The planet would happily kill you if it got the chance and it wouldn't feel guilty about it one way or the other. Not saying that justifies you dumping a whole bunch of mercury in the bay, but just keep that in mind. You hear stories of the planet killing people all the time. So the planet isn't this warm and fuzzy thing. It's actually a cold rock. Well, out in Colorado is this where this story comes from, but it could happen anywhere. These sort of incentives are being offered all over the place from sea to shining sea. Under the guise of being green, going green, helping the planet. Somehow going green means, it, it, going green used to mean you, you'd clean up after yourself, right? But the left, they don't clean up after themselves. They have a huge rally or protest or riot or something. and You'd never see these lefties out the next day, the Antifa, the BLM Antifa crowd out there going, yeah, we did burn down a good chunk of the city. And we, but tomorrow morning, I, I pledge to get out here with a broom and dustpan to sweep up the glass from the bank or the Starbucks that we smashed. And uh, I will pick up the garbage that we threw all over the, the grass. No, they never do that. They're too busy being angry about how God slighted them in some way or another or whatever it is that they're angry about. I don't actually care. I assume I always assume it involves sexual dysfunction. It's, yeah, I think you can't go wrong with assuming that the left is usually angry because of some sort of personal sexual dysfunction they won't admit it they're never going to admit therapy doesn't get down to the the root causes of their rage but uh, i suspect that's what it is in any event there are people out there who normal people who go well this is good for the environment and it could save me a couple of bucks i'll sign up but all of those deals from your electric company from any place tangential pseudo-government control. They are about control. They will come in and find a way to uh, come back to haunt you. They're like the user agreements you never read. And you're going, hey, I, uh, I got that new Google phone and I downloaded all the apps. And then you go, wait a second. China is spying on me through my TikTok app? Not only what I'm doing with TikTok, but because I have TikTok on my phone, I now have given... China or a government-owned company with an American appendage, I've given them authority to rifle through everything on my phone, my contacts, my, my 
pictures and I don't post to, that doesn't seem right. And you go, well, if you'd read the, the user agreement, you wouldn't be surprised by this. Moreover, if you read the user agreement with a team of lawyers, then you would understand what it is. But most of us, and I'm guilty of it too, when they see that user agreement, they go, well, I want this app to work. You have to click I agree or else it won't work. Or every time I update the iOS on my phone, like I agree to whatever the hell it is, they could be saying we're going to take your firstborn. We we now have ability to uh, drain your blood and sell it on the black market should we so desire. And you just agreed to it because you're not who's going to sit down and read a user agreement. Well, when you sign up for these discount programs through your electric company, your energy provider, whatever it is, your gas company, they are now including things like we now have the ability to remotely turn off your power when we so desire. We can scale you back. And as people in Colorado have discovered, we now have the ability to control the temperature of your home remotely if we declare there to be a power emergency. They probably didn't think of that. In fact, the guy they interview in this story you'll hear had no idea. I'm sure it was right there in the text of the user agreement, maybe in legalese, but it was there. And also, no company is going to say, hey, we want to give you money with expecting nothing in return. It's always about control. What they're ultimately doing is they have to, more than likely, they have to get government permission to offer these sort of incentives. They have to be allowed by government regulators to be able to come into your home electronically and control your thermostat remotely against your wishes. Your wishes don't matter. And government always grants that because the alternative would be people not having power. Or I guess the alternative really could be government getting the hell out of the way and allowing power companies to generate enough power to meet demand. But the green agenda won't allow for that, so they have to go the control route. So yeah, Colorado people are getting a rude awakening to reality out there, what they signed up for in order to save a couple of bucks a year in the name of green energy. Here's the first one. We are expecting a blistering 95 degrees here tomorrow. And during these dog days of summer, of course, it's so important to keep your home cool. Well, when thousands of XL customers in Colorado tried adjusting their thermostats Tuesday, they learned they couldn't. Denver 7 consumer investigator Jacqueline Allen talked with some of those customers. Jacqueline, they're upset they had no control over the temp in their own home. That's right. And, you know, Excel is calling, calling this a rare energy emergency. And, yes, they took over tens of thousands of smart thermostats here in Colorado. For the first time, there was nothing homeowners could do about it. Nothing homeowners could do about it. They took over smart thermostats. Now, were they all that smart? Look, I get it. You get uh, the idea of, hey, uh, remotely, I can, if I'm not home, I can check and say, oh, did I leave the air conditioning on? We're not going to be home for the weekend. We probably don't need the, the house to be at 70 degrees. We can probably bump it up to 75. The cats might ha- take issue with it. But you know what? Not a single one of them has ever registered a complaint with me. So tough. We can bump it up to 75, save a little bit. You're not doing it because I want to save the planet. You're doing it because I want to save the money. These power companies, these green activists, they know this, so they dangle like a, a string in front of a cat going, here, uh, this will save you money. If you sign up for this, we'll give you a discount. Don't worry, it'll be so rare, you won't even, we won't even really do it. And then it gets really hot one day, and you go, phew, it's hot in this house. What the hell is going on? I'm going to 
maybe turn on the AC. I don't know what. Are we going to have to get a repairman out here? And you go to your thermostat and it says 79 degrees. You're like, what the hell? Who set the thermostat for 79 degrees? Because you think your home is your castle. No, it's not. It's it, Well, it's your physical castle, at least for now, until they find a way to wrestle that away from you. But the control over the uh, the climate inside your own home, nope. That belongs to them, which by proxy belongs to the government because government can cause artificial shortages of electricity and energy through incompetent management. And boy, howdy, if there's one thing that government excels at, it is incompetent management. Rude awakening for these people. Another hot one today with temperatures in the low 90s. Even Mike Nelson would tell you Tuesday was a hot one. The heat goes on. Which is why Tony Tallarico tried to crank up the AC. I mean, it was 90 out, and it was right during the peak period. That's found out he had no control of his thermostat. A message from Excel on his thermostat saying temperature locked during an energy emergency. And normally when we see a message like that, we're able to override it. Um, in this case, we weren't. So our thermostat was locked in at 78 or 79. <laughs> 78 or 79. Uh, temperature emergency. The message actually reads, quote, temporarily. Now, these are for the people with the digital things. Where they're like, I can control my thermostat from my phone or I can do it, blah, blah, blah. Touch screen. Temperature locked temporarily during energy emergency due to rare energy emergency that may affect your local energy grid your temperature slider has been changed from 8 p.m to 8 p.m because you enrolled in community in a community energy savings program to opt out contact excel energy central at and then there's an email address Send us an email to opt out. Oh, by the way, I bet you if you opt out, you're going to have to refund any incentives, any credits, anything. You get a $100 credit for signing up for this. I bet if you opt out, they go, well, your next bill, guess what's going to be on there? Maybe they'll spread it out over a couple of bills to try and uh, deal with the complaints. But you don't you don't get to sign up for something and then go, I'm going to opt out of it and with no consequences. Yeah, couldn't change his thermostat. Owned a sentient being, allegedly. Turns out he's not alone. Excel confirms to contact Denver 7. 22,000 customers were locked out of their smart thermostats for hours on Tuesday. It's a voluntary program. Let's remember that this is something that customers choose to be a part of um, based on the incentives. Excel VP Emmett Romine says customers enrolled in the Colorado AC Rewards Program sign up to get money back, but give up some control for the greater good. So it it helps everybody for people to participate in these programs. It is a bit uncomfortable for a short period of time, but, but it's very, very helpful. Give up some control for the greater good, comrade. Don't worry. You give up some... What could possibly go wrong? The greater good. The, you suffer. But somewhere, somebody... Now, do you think that the wealthy are doing that? Do you think that mansions in whatever part of Denver uh, has mansions in it? Do you think that they're going, Phew, it's really hot in here? You think, no. Do you think they didn't sign up for it? They didn't sign up for it. They got the, the, the serfs to sign up for it so the wealthy wouldn't have to sign up for it. Like when the power grid is strained, they go, well, the, let, the, let the little people for $100. We'll give them $100, one-time $100 credit. We will then not have to suffer. 
I wouldn't want my pool to go unheated. My God, my air conditioner to go off. There's no way. My The uh, temperature control in my walk-in humidor slash wine cellar, I'm not about to risk that. You know how many bottles of the Rothschild or whatever I have in there? No way. I couldn't possibly. But they dangle these incentives that sound all good, and it's, oh, it's for the environment. Do you think Al Gore would sign up for a program like this? Do you think Greta Turdburglar would? I don't think so. No, no, they wouldn't. AOC wouldn't either. Continues. And it's rare. This is the first time since the six-year-old program started that customers could not override their smart thermostats. Excel says an unexpected outage in Pueblo, combined with hot weather and heavy AC use, led to the last-minute energy emergency. To me, an emergency means there is, you know, life, limb, or, you know, some other danger out there, some, you know, massive wildfires. Tony's all about saving energy with solar panels and smart home systems, but he says he had no idea locked thermostats came with that, and it's not what he signed up for. Even if it's a once in a blue moon uh, situation it just doesn't sit right with us to not be able to control our own thermostat in our house it's not what he signed up it is what he signed up for it's exactly what he signed up for he signed up for it and the, the guy he you know he's on board with all he's got solar panel he's got he doesn't have a huge mansion but he's got a half of the back of his roof covered with solar panels that cost money he probably got uh, all sorts of incentives for that too and part of that was probably signing up for this stupid program that don't worry we'll never we're gonna we're gonna give ourselves this power but fear not we will likely never use it government says that kind of stuff all the time don't worry we're gonna we're gonna do this but don't worry we won't ever do it i think you probably will and there you heard in the clip before the guy from the energy company going hey, you know what this is what people signed up for this is what they wanted they get discounts and here in this clip, they explain what the uh, the cheese that attracted the mouse that ended up, you know, decapitating the mouse in the mouse trap. For the AC Rewards Program, customers get a hundred dollar credit for signing up and twenty five dollars every year. In exchange, Excel says the customers should be aware they could lose control of their thermostat in an emergency. Tony and many others were not aware, and he is now unenrolling. <laughs> he is now unenrolling. A hundred dollars. They make it sound look a hundred dollars off. Who wouldn't take a hundred dollar credit for their electric bill? And then $25 per year. That's probably less of an incentive. But the immediacy of 100 bucks off your electric bill, hell yeah, everybody would take that. You don't know, read it. And you read To the extent that you can read these user agreements, you see on page 7, once you get your jeweler's loop out to read it, it says, on occasion there might be an emergency, but don't worry, it'll rarely ever happen. You call up the power company and you say, what is this business about you overriding my ability to control my temperature in my own home? Like, Oh, don't worry. We would probably never do that. It's just that's just in there just in case. The lawyers made us put that in there. Just in, you know, you know how lawyers are. And then they did it. 90 degrees is, you know, it's a warm summer day, but it's not all that uncommon. Not in summer. Uh, there's a problem in Pueblo, too. Well, uh, who's to say there's not going to be a problem in Pueblo tomorrow? Who knows? Who's to say that there's not going to be another problem someplace else? You're going to completely put yourself at the whims of these things in the name of green energy? 
Oh, it's green energy, I promise you. You're doing it for the good of the environment. Why is it if it's good for the planet that it's only the middle class who gets screwed for it? The left, the, the rich don't do it. Your private jet travel is not being curtailed. The Tesla charging stations that are in the uh, wealthier areas of Denver, they're not being dimmed. It's the temperatures in middle-class houses. Look, if somebody's, how many members of the Denver Broncos making a couple million dollars a year, how many of them do you think signed up going, hey, I get a $100 credit and $25 a year to cede the control of the temperature of my house? They're not going to sign up for it. Screwing the middle class. That's what Democrats do. Every chance they get. Okay, I want to uh, highlight something that is um, another indication of just how bad Democrats, Democrat governors, Democrat politicians really damaged children. Now, they damaged them in lots of ways. The sniffing, the groping, and all of that. Just from Joe Biden. But I'm talking about their education. New York Times had a big story today. Their headline kind of says it all about how they're trying to insulate the Pandemic erased two decades of progress in math and reading. That's the headline. It wasn't the pandemic. It was the political reaction or the reaction of politics to the pandemic that did that damage. Do we just we have to be honest about things? We have to put things how they actually are. The virus not good. But it didn't make any policy decisions. The virus did not force anybody out of the military. It did not fire anybody from their job in government. It did lots of things that it did nothing about. Honest to God, these headline writers, I don't, they try and absolve them. Anything they can do to absolve Democrats. The pandemic, the reaction to the pandemic, the political reaction to the pandemic is what damaged children. Now, you can find that damage to children was worse in places like New York State, where the schools were shut down for extended periods of time, and you would find that damage to be non-existent or nearly non-existent in states where the schools were not shut down, like, say, oh, I don't know, I'm thinking of the nation's uvula, Florida. But you won't get credit for Ron DeSantis for, you know, harming children. No, 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 no. It's just in general. The pandemic erased two decades of progress in math. The subheadline, the results of a national test show just how devastating the last two years have been for nine-year-old school children, especially the most vulnerable. Especially the most vulnerable. They love that especially. Because if something's bad for everybody, that's not good enough for the left. It has to be bad for everybody, but especially worse for the people they, they care about. Whose policies you know, damage, do the most damage to, but they care, allegedly, the most, or something like that. <laughs> National test results released on Tuesday, this New York Times, showed in stark terms the pandemic's devastating effect on America's school children. With the performance of nine-year-olds in math and reading dropping to levels from two decades ago. This year, for the first time since the National Assessment of Education Progress Test began, tracking student achievement in the 1970s, nine-year-olds lost ground in math and scores in reading fell by the largest margin in more than 30 years. 
Now, this is the teachers' union in conjunction with Democrats. This is Randy Weingarten in conjunction with liberal Democrat governors across the country shutting down schools and keeping them shut. And where was the most damage? The most damage was where the teachers' unions' failures and the Democratic Party's policies had already failed. The governors were able to harm the entire state, sure, but the enclaves controlled by Democrats, which are generally large concentrations of population, the major cities, the Detroits, the Chicago's, the Baltimore's, those suffered worse. Now, those places had already been suffering. They had the least to give. Test scores in those areas have been waning for decades. And a generation of uh, voters go, well, you know what? But if we keep electing Democrats, what could possibly go? If we keep electing, if we keep doing what isn't working, sooner or later, it's got to work, right? I mean, that's just science, isn't it? Right? Science? It's hard to feel bad for the adults here. You have to realize, and this is where you do feel bad, is these are the kids that are being impacted by this. This is why generational poverty exists, because there's no standard for the political class. Are you a Democrat? All right. You're going to continue to empower the people who have failed us. All right. Well, but you're a Democrat. So, all right. You're still better than a Republican. Oh, okay. Have you actively set out to destroy the most vulnerable among us? What would you do differently than Democrats are doing under the guise of helping them? What would you do differently? Nothing. Democrats have perfected the art of caring people to death. I love you so much. You're doing so much harm. You're just smothering me. No, 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 no. I know you can't swim, but here's a brick. Here's another brick and another brick. Wait, you're not helping me. You're hurting me. They don't care. The decline spanned almost all races and income levels and were markedly worse for lowest performing students, while top performers in the 90th percentile showed a modest drop, three points in math. Students in the bottom 10th percentile dropped by 12 points in math, four times the impact. Good job, Democrats. Congratulations, Randy Weingarten. Quote, I was taken aback by the scope and magnitude of the decline, said Peggy G. Carter, commissioner of the National Center for Education Statistics, the federal agency that administered the exam earlier this year. The tests were given to a national sample of 14,809 year olds and were compared with the results of tests taken by the same age group in early 2020, just before the pandemic took hold in the United States. High and low performers had been diverging even before the pandemic, but now, quote, the students at the bottom are dropping faster, Dr. Carr said. So there was already a problem. These Democrats knew there was a problem. They knew for years that there was a problem. There's no ambiguity about it. And they did nothing about it. Now, what are they going to do with this data? What are they going to do with this information? I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. The response from the left will have nothing to do with accountability for teachers. Nothing to do with accountability for school administrators. Not at all. It will be, we need to spend more money. We need more money for education. That will be what Democrats take from this. We need more money on education. Now, what do you do with that more money for education? We need to pay teachers, but we need better teacher salary. 
if you pay somebody who can't teach more, are they suddenly going to be able to teach? That's not how it works. You either can or you can't. If you have somebody who's painting, and God, they're just terrible at painting, and they're paid $10 an hour to paint, and then you come in and say, and they're just terrible. They're just awful at it. Stick figures. They can't stick, They can't do anything. It's just horrible. And you come in and say, you know what? I'm going to give you $100 an hour. Are they suddenly going to be able to paint? No, they're not. doesn't matter. There is no salary at which a bad teacher becomes a good teacher. There just isn't. And if there is, that person should be fired because they haven't been doing their job. Up to that point, if you're making sixty thousand dollars a year and you're just lazy and you go to hell with this, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna give about seventy percent because I am grossly underpaid and I have to buy markers and paper every year. I have to spend two hundred dollars on on crayons. So forget it. I'm not gonna give them my A game. And then suddenly you raise, you double their salary, and they go, "All right, now I will care." Would you trust that person? Would you believe that person? They might give you a good year. But they're never going to give you consistently their best because they are willing to hold back in the name of of selfishness, really. It's like the average baseball player who suddenly has a great year, the last year of their contract, right before they go into free agency. You know, above that, they hit 25 home runs normally, but they got it up to 40 home runs this year. Whoa. They usually hit around 260, 265, and now they're hitting 290. Like, whoa, this guy, really good. No, this guy recognizes that this is the year that the, their raise is going to be based on. Teams are going to bid for him. You go, that wasn't a, maybe that wasn't a fluke. And then you're going to go get maybe get a good year, an appreciative year, and then you're going to kind of settle back into, well, eh, you know what? Working out every single day to be able to hit 40 home runs is a lot of work. Whereas if I don't work out every day, I can still hit 25, 28 home runs, blah, blah, blah. But you're making the 45 home run kind of money. They never give that back. You ever notice that? Athletes never, well, Ted Williams once gave back a raise because he didn't feel like he deserved it. But most times, ball players, pro athletes, everything, they never go, you know what? I had a really crappy year. My salary was too much. Here's the money back. Never happens. Teachers the same way. If your job performance is based on how much you're paid, you have no business being in that job. If you don't give a damn or you need more money to give a damn in teaching children, you have no business teaching children. Back to the depressing statistics that you can thank a Democrat for. In math, black students lost 13 points compared with five points among white students, widening the gap between the two groups. Research has documented the profound effect of school closures had on low-income students and on black and Hispanic students, in part because their schools were more likely to continue remote learning for longer periods of time. There you go. There's your Democratic Party entrenched politics and power. They were likely to stay closed longer. Why? Because Democrats wanted it. That's why. Now, I just did a word search in this story. 
because it's a whitey is benefiting rich whitey and, and black and brown students. The word Asian does not appear in this story. I bet you dollars to donuts. That's not by accident. I think that they probably did the best. But that doesn't help Democrats complain about their narrative. This is a horribly racist country. Just like when you talk about income, they don't really talk about Indian Americans. Why? Because they have the highest per capita income by a lot in this country. By a lot. A horribly racist country where people from India, immigrants from India, do better than anybody else as far as income. I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like... <laughs> like We're a racist country. We're just really bad at it. We don't really understand the concept of it. Because whitey is like number seven on the list. If you go down, you got the Filipinos, you got various Asian countries. They do way better than salary and in education than whitey does. But Democrats can't... Democrats can't run successful campaigns scaring the hell out of and lying and manipulating emotionally black voters and to a lesser degree and a failing degree Hispanic voters by saying, look out, you're uh, those evil Filipino voters and those people from India. We will protect you from them. You can't. You can't run that. Wait a second. They're not white either. I thought we were oppressed by white people. So you ignore, you slice off the top and you go, just pretend that doesn't exist. And you get a New York Times story about children. Oh, and then you only have three ethnic groups. Why don't you want to compare everybody to everybody? They imply in the story that some students didn't really see any drop. Who are those students and why? And then if you get into the who those students are and then you get into the why, I suspect, since they're hiding this information, it'll eventually come. Somebody will go and look at this. Some journalist will get the study and go into all of this. But I suspect that if you look at the groups who didn't really see declines, maybe even saw continued advances in their test scores, their ability to read and do math, you know, those crazy sorts of things, that you are going to see in those various uh, communities very low divorce rates, even lower out-of-wedlock birth rates, crazy things like that where you know, everybody loves family, but some families stay intact and some families don't. And some communities have higher rates of that staying intact. And that always correlates with students doing better. But you can't do that. You can't point that out. That's, oh my goodness, if you point that out, you're judging people. Ju- not judging people. You're attacking single mothers. They always, the left always loves it. You're attacking single mothers. No, I'm not attacking single mothers. I'm not attacking the North, the South, and the West by saying the sun rises in the East. It just is, okay? You can choose how to, how to live your life and what to do with this information, but the information is the information. It's not biased. It's not bigoted. It's not racist. It's not sexist. It's not transphobic or homophobic or any kind of thing. It's not triskaidekaphobic. It just is. What you do with it is up to you. But the left wants to deny what is because what is so often, more often than not, never helps them. So they give you just part of what is. They give you the slice of what is that they can manipulate in there and say, well, well, the white students are doing better than the black and Hispanic students. What we need to do is take money from white school districts and give it to blacks. We need to pay teachers more in places where the teachers are more likely to be union members and definitely will vote for Democrats. 
and therefore the unions can have more money and we can get more money from them. That's what they need to do. They never want to introduce the concept of accountability. That is, no, no, accountability, my God. Nothing scares Democrats more than the idea of accountability. So children suffer, Democrats prosper, and we all end up paying the price. It's so progressive. So the Biden administration knew that this information was coming out, that Democrat establishment had uh, irreparably damaged children, their learning. And so they were ready for this. The Secretary of Education had a, a uh, few hours after this thing ran in the New York Times, the Secretary of Education had a piece run in USA Today, the nation's hotel doormat. U.S. Education Secretary, colon, COVID hurt student academic achievements, but we can recover. We can recover. As Secretary of Education, I've traveled to 35 states and talked with countless students, countless students, families and educators. In every conversation, it's clear the pandemic has had a profound impact on our children's youth, on our children and youth. Our students' academic performance will reflect these impacts as well as the inequities in educational opportunity that preceded and continued through the pandemic. See, it's it's inequity. Inequity that, uh, why is why is everything just so uh, inequitable only where Democrats have control? Do you ever notice, do you ever think of that? I promise you that evil whitey isn't all that interested in what other kids are doing. In fact, they're not even interested in what other white kids are doing. They're interested in what their kids are doing, just like most parents are. The political class is out there going, no, 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 uh, the problem is those white kids are doing well. And, you know, there's only, oh, so educational achievement is fungible. It's just, you know, only so much educational achievement to go around. Only a certain percentage of children will be able to read and do math at a level normal for their age. And Whitey is hoarding it. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't stand up to basic scrutiny. But Democrat policies don't stand, make any sense or stand up to basic scrutiny either. So Democrats simply ignore it, and they get mileage out of race baiting. So there they go. So the latest data from the National Assessment of Education Progress confirms this, showing long-term trends for America's nine-year-olds in reading and math. While the NAEP scores were not increasing before March 2020, these results show that we cannot be complacent about accelerating our students' academic outcomes. From day one, now we get to the political BS. Uh, clench your buttocks so you don't get the smoke blown up your rear end by proxy. From day one, this administration, President Joe Biden, uh, of this administration, President Joe Biden recognized these threats the pandemic would have on our children's academic progress. It's why he made the Department of Education's top priority to get schools safely reopened for in-person learning and get students back into the classroom. See, that's the thing. Safely reopened that was well, what does safely mean it doesn't doesn't mean anything it means whatever you want the department of education and the department of justice were working hand in hand with the teachers unions to prolong school shutdowns because teachers unions wanted it they set unrealistic standards they also demanded 
that teachers be vaccinated and they were waiting for a so-called vaccine for kids even though the data clearly showed that kids were thankfully very rarely impacted by COVID. It didn't matter. The union wanted more money. They got hundreds of billions of dollars and they still refused to open. They got new ventilation systems. And they still refused to open because they, 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 it's still unsafe. They got cuts in line back when people thought that the vaccines worked. They got cuts in line. They demanded cuts in line and they got it. Yes, I understand that senior citizens are the ones most likely to be negatively impacted or die from COVID, but our union members want access before them. We want cuts in line. So if we don't get that, we're not going back. And they got cuts in line. (sighs) We did it, Cardona, Cardona writes. But we know it's not enough. That's also why under President Biden's American Rescue Plan, we've directed over $130 billion in funding to school districts across the country to keep schools open and help them accelerate student learning. Now, what have we talked about on this show? What have you read in newspapers and seen on television? You have seen school districts saying, we want to use the COVID money to build a a malt shop in the gym for the football team. We want to upgrade the the weight room. We want to build new playgrounds. They have all this money that has been unspent. Why? Because a lot of these schools had updated ventilation systems. They didn't need updated ventilation systems. uh, So they, they have this millions of dollars for school districts sitting around doing nothing, causing nothing, just sitting there. And they go, well, we really liked, and they're tangentially saying, well, we have to justify the spending of this money, the setting on fire of this money through COVID. So since it's under the guise of COVID relief and COVID emergencies, and there's no longer a COVID emergency, unless you're Novak Djokovic, who wants to come to the United States to play in the U.S. Open. No, no, you're not vaccinated. You can't come in, but if you're an illegal alien, you can come across the southern border if you want the remain in Mexico or Title 42. The Biden administration says there's no emergency anymore. What COVID is over. We should let all of these people in. Except Novak Djokovic. I'd like to see Novak Djokovic try and walk across the southern border. I want to see the Biden administration's head implode. Not explode. Implode because vacuums collapse upon themselves. But the idea that what we need is more money, more money, more money, when the school districts have more money than they know what to do with. The school districts are at least smart enough to go, we've got uh, $10 million. We can't give that to teachers. If we give, if we give teachers raises, that money will run out. The money will be gone pretty quickly. And then what do we do? You can't give somebody a raise one year. Here's a 20% raise. And then say, well, next year, you're not getting that raise. It's going away. You can't do that. So they can't add it into the baseline for their operating budget on a recurring annual basis because they'd be on the hook for it. So they got this pile of money that they're going, well, what if we just buy new playground equipment? Something wrong with the current playground? Is there a school where there is no playground equipment anywhere? No, but they've got this money and they're looking for ways to spend it. One place was making, honestly, it was a, I think it was like an espresso machine for the football players under the guise of COVID relief. The secretary continues, the data should serve as further call to action for states, districts, and communities to use these funds quickly, effectively, and on strategies we know works. 
Well, you as the federal government, when you were advocating for that $130 billion in addition to the other half trillion dollars that you got already, you could have expressly laid out the terms and conditions under which that money can be used and can be spent. You chose not to because the teachers union wanted a free hand and you gave it to them because you are their slave. We must raise the bar for our students now and use the resources we have to meet that bar. We must recognize this moment for the urgency it carries, colon, our students and the progress of our country depend on it. He writes, raise that bar. Well, why now do we have to raise that bar? Why wasn't it a year ago we had to raise that bar? Why wasn't it when Joe Biden came into office or when you took the job? Why weren't you interested in raising the bar? Well, because we didn't have test results then. But the places that were hurt the most and exposed the most failing by these test results are the places where Democrats, quite frankly, could do just about any damn thing they wanted. It's where they have the most power, the most sway. It is in Democrat-controlled major cities. Physician, heal thyself. But no, you can't do that. They won't do that. Because Democrats know that really the only way to address the education problem would be to take on the teachers' unions. Hire based on merit. Fire based on merit. Teachers' unions never going to go for that. And since the teachers' unions fund the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party's never going to go for that. So children who have been suffering are suffering more, and the Democrats' plan is to keep them suffering. Ah, progress. So as the kids continue to suffer, thanks to Democrats, the Secretary of Education is promising that what we'll do is we'll just dump more money. We'll plug that black hole if we just throw more money at it. What could possibly go wrong? Why would anybody complain? We'll just keep dumping money down this thing, and sooner or later it will uh, it'll stop, right? Isn't that the way it works? Isn't that science or something like that? No, absolutely not. Now, the, the New York Times said in some parts of the country, the worst of the disruptions were short-lived, with schools reopening that fall. But in other areas, particularly in big cities with large populations of low-income students and students of color, schools remained closed for many months, and some did not fully reopen until last year. Huh. Now, who controls those areas? Who controls... Big cities with large populations of low-income students and students of color. That would be Democrats. But don't worry. The people who've overseen the problem will correct the problem. Only Nixon can go to China, ladies and gentlemen. And only a Democrat who ruined the education system can fix the education system. Or something. I don't get it. I don't know how these people live with themselves, to be perfectly honest with you, but that's that's what they do. That's who they are. That's how they are. That's what they do. The national tests, Dr. Ho said, tell a story of a, quote, decade of progress, followed by a decade of inequality, and then the shock of the pandemic, which came with a one-two punch. I love it. There was a, a decade of progress. Things are going well, and then there's inequality. Why is there inequality? They don't know. They don't, they don't say. You don't have to. You just declare something to be, and Democrats go, oh, yes, that's right. And the media, being your gimp, goes, oh, of course, we'll do whatever we say. They say it with a ball gag in their mouth. But I said, 
Quote, it erased the progress and it exacerbated the inequality, Dr. Ho said. Now we have our work cut out for us. Yeah. All you got to do is give the keys of the car to Paul Pelosi. He'll drive it. Don't worry. Yeah, he wrapped it around a telephone pole, but still give him your keys. He'll drive your car this time. He made the problem, but he's the only one who can fix the problem. No. He, meaning Dr. Ho, estimated that losing one point in the national exam roughly translated into about three weeks of learning. That means a top-performing student who lost three points in math could catch up in as little as nine weeks, while low-performing students who lost 12 points would need 36 weeks, or almost nine months, to make up the ground. That would still be significantly behind more advanced peers. Watch Democrats. They'll say, so what we've got to do is slow the progress of the kids who are learning. The way you help all students, because most of education and most things in general that government does is they measure against themselves rather than actual appreciable things that are you know measurable results that are tangible, that are irrefutable. They measure against themselves. So if one school is doing well, they don't go, well, we need this other school to do well that isn't doing well. Uh, we need to raise them up. It's no, no. If we knock down that other school a few points, we will have helped close the gap because it's about the gap. It shouldn't be about the gap. Who cares what the gap is? You want to know that children are learning. If some children aren't learning or aren't learning enough, you can make them look better relatively by making sure the children who are learning enough, learning fast enough, learn slower. You can't, okay, the the kid who can't run, and I say this as a kid who is always slow, it doesn't make me faster by holding back the kids who are fast, right? And I give you a 100-yard dash, I'm going to lose almost every, I'm going to be in the bottom half, that's for sure. I just, you put me on ice skates, I'd win. You put me on feet, and I'm slow. Somebody's going to be faster. By taking the fast ki fast kids and making them carry 50 pounds in a backpack, that will close the gap. But my time will still be slow. Even if you put enough weight on those kids to make me win, I'm still going to be slow. If my, if my 100, I don't know what a good steward, 100-meter dash, I suppose the world record is like nine seconds. If it takes me 20 seconds to cross the finish line and it takes the fast kids 15 seconds, but you can weigh them down so it takes them 22 seconds, I didn't get any faster. I beat them. But I didn't get any faster. That's how education works. That's how the Democrats view education. That's how they so-called fix the education problem. They take the people who are achieving and make them achieve less. They damage them. They hurt them. They slow them down. And they go, we've closed the education gap. Well, that's not, that's a recipe for disaster, by the way, you take the kids who are learning and you stop. That's what San Francisco did when they shut down this school for like gifted students because too many Asians were going to it. Wasn't even evil whitey. It was too many damned Asians. And so they said, well, we need to just shut this down. We need to make admission to this school not based on merit and achievement and test scores and ability to do well and excel in this school. We need to open it up to everybody because there are far too many, or they never say there are far too many, unless it's white kids. They say there are not enough of this group or the other group. They never go, why aren't there enough? 
It's not that black and Hispanic kids are genetically defective and capable of learning. No, it's because the expectations on black and Hispanic kids are zero. And the focus of teachers is more about making sure that they're fully aware that they are victims in the eyes of progressives. And you're probably not going to get ahead. And they don't, the teachers don't bother. It's bad teachers. The teachers should be fired. How can I say that? Well, there are some, there are a lot of stories out there of good teachers who suddenly go in and they end up improving the lives of their students doing quite well the kids do really well they achieve they learn they win and what do every one of those true stories have to do with it eventually the establishment crushes them they push them out how dare you you're trying to do you're raising the expectations of every student no these kids are learning well, but it's unfair to the other kids who aren't. Well, maybe it's the teacher's fault for not teaching the other kids. Every kid can learn. Not everybody can teach. Not every teacher is willing to. They just want their summers off. That's the way the world works, ladies and gentlemen. This is, how Dem- this is why Democrats shouldn't be anywhere near your kids. That and all the drag queen story hours. Anyway, that is enough for today. That is enough for this week. Unless, of course, you are uh, one of the chosen few, the awesome people out there, who go to patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com and sign up for the Week in FN Review, in which case you will be hearing my lovely, lovely dulcet tones screeching and screeling and, and cursing out and cracking politically incorrect jokes about the news and newsmakers of the day, talking politics, policy, and trash at 12.01 Eastern Standard Time every Saturday morning, technically Saturday morning. And on the East Coast, you get it on Friday. So there you go. Appreciate the support. Appreciate the use of your ears. Appreciate you. Have a great weekend. I'll see you next time.